All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? How many of you guys, okay, just get out of the way. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Chiefs, anyone? Handful of you guys. Eagles, meteor strike. There it is, right? Don't care. You just, you know, just. <laughs> I know, I saw this great thing online that showed that. It showed uh, Philadelphia. It said people rooting for the Eagles, and it showed Kansas. People rooting for the Chiefs, and then the rest of the country was in gray. So people hoping the game gets canceled. And I was like, that's, that's about where I feel right now. But I'm excited to be here with you guys. I know that um, Super Bowl Sunday brings about a lot of emotions and a, a lot of passion in people. You, know, you, you want to see some of the most passionate people go to a sports game and sit in the bleacher section or something. And you, you will see, and if you, and especially if you really want to experience their passion, wear the other team's jersey when you do it. I got to do that um, at the Seahawks game a couple times. Go there in my Niners gear. And, and I'll tell you, I made some friends and I made some enemies. And it was awesome. The whole thing was great. But, um, but li living passionately is what we're going to talk about today. And continuing in our uh, One Month to Live series, and uh, last week we talked about getting rid of regrets and how, how do we go through life not regretting the, de the decisions we've made and letting those turn us towards Jesus. And today we're going to keep diving into this, this series about living passionately. Now, when we talk about One Month to Live, uh, remember that this is not saying we're going to die in a month. Like, I, I don't know when anybody's time is. But this whole thing is not about dying. This is really about living. How are we going to live this next month? What are we going to do? How are we going to change our lives so that we can really live fully for Jesus and with the principles that he showed us even in his last 30 days of life? So as we dive in, turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. And um, I'm going to pray for us as we get started. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to come here, we get to celebrate, and God, I pray that um, as we dive in today, no one leaves here the same. God, you touch every heart, um, you, you touch every person. God, everyone who's watching online, God, you, you, touch, you touch their hearts, you, you do something in, in their lives so that when we leave this place, uh, we, we take a little bit more of you with us and we're able to influence our community, our friends, our relationships, all the better for you. And we ask this in your name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to spend some time talking about Elijah today. Now, Elijah, a very passionate man, very, very passionate. He, he, was, he experienced the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. This guy was at some points on fire for God, saying literally on fire, and we'll talk about that today with, with some fire from heaven. But he talked about fire and calling down fire, and then there's other times where he was like, God, I just want you to kill me. Just take me out. I'm done. He was so passionate that he, let, he laid everything out in his life with his mission for God. Now, now something that, that we see with Elijah was he, he lived a very fulfilling life. And there, there's a difference, though. Sometimes when I say fulfilling life, people will say, my life is very full. But there's a difference between a full life and a fulfilling life. How many of you guys would say you have a full life? Lots going on, right? I mean, we, we can fill our lives pretty, pretty easily when we talk about work, we talk about just relationships and friends. If you have kids and they're in sports, your schedule is booked for the rest of your life. Aurora just signed up for baseball, and I am so excited. That is uh, my, my favorite team in the world, the San Francisco Giants, and my favorite sport, baseball. So when Aurora told me she wanted to play baseball, I felt some passion building back up in me. I, I played baseball for 13 years as a kid, and I know a lot of people say, you know, they, they would have gone pro if they stuck with it, and they're wrong, but I would have gone pro if I stuck with it. It it's, totally was me. But I... I have this passion for sports, and this passion specifically for baseball. So having Aurora do this, I know it's going to be really, really exciting. And I know that's going to fill an already busy schedule, because our lives are full of activities. 
We have, uh, we have work. We get busy. They can get full of stress. Our lives can get full of anxiety. But is our full life really a fulfilling life? And Jesus said this. He said, I've come that you might have life and live to the full. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a full schedule. I've come that you would be busy all the time. He said, I've come that you may have life to the fullest. And I want you to experience true fulfillment. Now, we get these principles from this, this one month to live from a Christ-filled life, a Christ-filled life, and how he lived when he knew he had 30 days left, 30 days to get to the cross. And so we're going to talk about living passionately today, because passion is often the difference between fulfillment and frustration. Passion can be the difference between fulfillment and frustration. Sometimes in our lives, we think just because we're full, we're doing everything we need to do, but then it leads into a mundane thing of, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and I'm not seeing any results. I'm just, I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm killing myself with all this work and nothing is happening the way I want it to and that leads to frustration. And frustration is not a fulfilled life. When we lose the fire of passion in our life, we just start going through the motions. We go through day in, day out. We go to work. We go to school. We take our kids here. We then, we then come home and then we have the routines and it just turns into this very mundane day after day after day and you can get very complacent and lose passion for what you have and that gets replaced with frustration. So we're going to look at a miracle in the Old Testament today where we see God send down fire from heaven because of the passion of one man in particular and God's passion to see people turn back to him. It ignites passions in thousands of people because, let's face it, when you're around someone who's really passionate about something, what happens to that passion? It, it starts to leak a little bit, right? It, it starts to rub off on you. If, if you hang out with, with enough with someone who's really passionate about something, you then find yourself wanting to learn a little bit more about it. Even if it's something that you don't care about initially, when someone real excited gets, they, they get real, I'm, I can't help but share this with you, you want to listen. Their passion is contagious. So in 1 Kings 18, a little background in this passage. People of Israel have lost their passion for God. They decided they weren't going to follow just God anymore. They were going to start following some false idols, and, and King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had brought this big idol named Baal down. And they said, this is going to be our new God. We are going to worship Baal. And this idol worship was not just Baal, it was also another god named Asherah. And this was the vilest form of idol worship in the day. It involved self-mutilation, it involved uh, horrific sacrifices, it involved temple prostitutes. It was just a horrible practice, nothing good coming from these idols. But this is what people were doing. They would cut themselves and harm themselves as they worshipped these false gods. So here's the scene now. God tells Elijah, we're going we're to have a contest. We're going to bring all these people together, and I'm going to show them who God is. So thousands of people gathered at, this, at Mount Carmel. Thousands are spectators. And on the field, there's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and one man, the prophet of God, Elijah. But never underestimate the power of one man who's really passionate about something, especially passionate about God. Now, for those of us who, who are managers, maybe in, in our workplace, we, we can kind of understand this, right? Would you rather have a bunch of employees that are just doing tasks or an employee who is passionate about what they're doing and they're inspiring other people to, to, to do better, right? As, I know that, that as, as, as a manager, I, I, I love passionate employees, people that come and they are all in on what they do. It's not just a job. It's not just show up and check the box, did this, did this. They're on fire for it because that bleeds out into the rest of the workplace. And that's what we see here. A lot of people doing a mundane job, worshiping idols that are not real, and a man who is passionate for God. <clears throat> so Elijah makes a proposal. He says, let's build two altars. You guys build an altar to your God, 
all build an altar to the real one true Lord God. Whoever answers by fire has the true God. And the people said, deal. Let's do this. This sounds fair. So the prophets of Baal and Asher, they start praying to their gods, and they get surprised, right? No answer. Nothing's happening. The only sounds heard are theirs. There's no fire coming down from heaven. There's nothing. Hours go by. No answer. And then it's Elijah's turn. This passionate man to talk about what he wants to do with God. So we're going to, starting in verse 37 in 1 Kings 18, it says this. Elijah says, answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you are God, that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. When you, when you see Elijah call down fire, and it says it doesn't just burn up the altar, it burns up the water too. That is some hot fire. And that is a very clear announcement from God on who is large and who is in charge. We see this passionate man, this passion for God, this passion for truth. Elijah, he, he's passionate for justice. He, he wants people to get turned back and directed towards God and turn away from these false idols. But there is more than just human passion here. More than just human passion, there's a man who it's not just his passion fueling this. He is connected with God, and that fuels this passion. A few things today we're going to learn about passion, and the first is this. Passion is ignited by a God connection. Passion is ignited by a God connection. I want us to see in this miracle that, that it's not just a man doing this. This is God using a man to do this, and he is getting his passion from God because he is connected to God. It's important to understand because to understand what just happened in chapter 18, if we go back to 17, we'll see something very specific that God tells uh, Elijah to do. In 1 Kings 17.3, God says, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. And if you have your Bibles or your, your digital Bibles, whatever you're using, highlight the word hide right there. God says, Go hide away. He says, hide away from the crowds, hide away from the people. Go get connected with God. Go get alone with God. I think the first step to restoring our passion is to make sure that we are getting some alone time and get connected with God. Feel God's heart. Feel God working in you. Now, what this does not mean, I mean, introverts right now are like, yes, I'm going to go get alone. Nobody bother me. This is God time. Go away. And extroverts are probably just like, oh, no. Go hide alone. This, I, I had to do that during COVID. That was the worst, right? So hear, hear me out on this. This doesn't mean stop seeing people. This doesn't mean stop going to church. This doesn't mean stop being involved in your small group. It doesn't mean just go and hide. What this does mean is make sure you are taking time to stay connected to God free of distractions. Make sure you have that alone time. Make sure you are, when you're in moments where you know you're going to need strength, you are getting strength from the one who will give it to you abundantly. But often, you can't do that just in a crowd. You've got to have that personal relationship. It, it's like, it's like when, you're, when you're married. Yes, my wife and I like to go do things with other people. We like to be in crowds. But a lot of our relationship grows on those times where it's just the two of us going out. Just the two of us spending time together. When you want to grow with God, you want to refuel some of that passion, get connected to God. Have some alone time. Have some quiet time. And I think that the whole reason sometimes where we think we've lost passion in life is because we've been disconnected from God for so long. We've said, I've just been going through the motions. I've been going through this, and life is so busy that the thing I've cut out of my schedule 
is my daily quiet time to just say, God, I'm going to just remove everything else and just focus on you for a little bit. And this doesn't mean you're disappearing for weeks on end or months on end. What I am saying is I think one of the most important things we can ever do is develop a daily quiet time with God. Get connected every day, 10, 15, 20 minutes before you start your day, before you go to work or anything. Just spend that time to say, God, here's my day. Let me, let me talk to you. Let me be connected with you before I go out into the world. Something that I know I like to do is I like to start my day with it. And I, I kind of think of my, my day as, as like the concert, right? I'm, go, I'm getting, going out into the concert, and I am the instrument. But when do I want to tune my instrument? I don't want to tune it after the show. I want to tune it before I get to the show. I want to make sure that when I go out, I am ready. Spend some time. Get in tune with God. Let him not just speak to your head, but let him speak to your heart. Let it start to flow through you. Take it out with you into your day. That's like the most important discipline. Spend time with God. And sometimes, sometimes I don't feel like doing it. Sometimes I'll have a night where my, my kids are driving me crazy because maybe they didn't go to bed or maybe, maybe they're sick and they've been up all night or for whatever reason, they're just driving me insane. And I wake up and the last thing I want to do because I'm so tired and frustrated is say, everybody leave me alone. I'm going to spend some time with God now. I just want to be like, I'm getting out of the house. I'm going to work. Leave me alone. But the thing is, passion is not just about feelings. Passion brings about strong feelings. And when I'm passionate for God, my feeling is going to be, I can't live without my time with God. There's a pastor of uh, the largest church in Indonesia, and it, it's a huge church. They have 17 different facilities, 75 different services on the weekend across all their campuses. It's, it's huge. And I can't imagine how that guy's voice holds up. But uh, the, the author of the book, One Month to Live, interviewed this pastor, and he said, the guy's name is Eddie. He said, Pastor Eddie, you have thousands coming to your church, and it's the largest Muslim country in the world. And the reason they can't meet in one, one facility is because of a lot of Muslim extremists, so they meet in 17 different facilities every weekend. So Pastor Kerry says, how is it that all these people are flocking to your church even though they face immediate, strong persecution? And Pastor Eddie said this. He said, Pastor Kerry, the secret is that 95% of all the people in this church emphasize a daily quiet time with God. They spend 15 to 20 minutes with the Lord every day. As a church, we're reading the same chapter, and we have 30,000 people reading one chapter together. They call their accountability partners. They say, hey, what did you get out of this passage? This is what I wrote down. What did you get out of the passage? And then during our day, we seek to live it out. We put that into our lives every day, what we're learning. And then he said to Pastor Kerry, the problem with some churches in America is that when they speak to Christians in America and we talk about daily quiet time, the response is, oh, I know about that. Oh, it's not very deep. Oh, I've done that. I've learned all that. I know the Bible. I even teach that sometimes. And then the pastor said, but are you really doing it every single day? And that's the question, right? When we get alone, when we get away from the crowds, we spend 10, 15, 20 minutes with God, writing down what we're learning from him. Write, write, write it down. That would be what I'd tell you guys. Spend some time. Keep a journal. Write down what you're reading. Write down what God is saying to you. Write down your prayers to him. I think it changes everything when you're able to look back and get a focus point on this is what God is doing in my life. But make it a habit to do it each and every day. And then once you do that, get an accountability partner. Get someone who, who you're reading with. Get someone who's, who's reading it with you. You can say, hey, this is what I learned today. This is what God's telling me today. What are, what are you learning? What is God telling you? And do this thing together. You, you hang around a passionate God, you'll be filled with passion. You can't help but be filled with passion. Spend time with God. Let his passion fuel you, and then let that 
dive into your relationships with other people. You've got to re- we've got to reconnect with our passion to God and develop a discipline of a daily time with him. So we, we see that, and I also want us to see that passion is propelled by a divine purpose. Passion is propelled by a divine purpose. Elijah wasn't doing this just for his own sake. He wasn't saying, this is what I want to see done in the world. He was saying, this is a divine thing. This is what God wants to see done. This is what God is doing in me, and I want to share it with other people. 1 Kings 18.1, he says this. Well, Elijah hid from God, and then God said, it's time to show yourself. Extroverts rejoice. This is for you now, right? No more hiding. Now you get to go out. 1 Kings 18.1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So in the previous passage, I said, underline the word hide. This time, underline the words, show yourself, and try not to shout that out with Elsa singing in Frozen, right? Show yourself. First, he had to hide himself. He hid himself and had that quiet time with God, and then God fueled him and said, now it's time to go. And now everyone's going to see you and everyone's going to be a part of what's happening. The problem is sometimes that I think we want to we show ourselves. We want to show people what we can do. We think we're ready and we want to do it on our own. And we totally skip that step of getting connected to God first. We just say, you know what? I want to go make this happen. And we dive in and we're going for it. But we're missing that divine connection. That part where God says, I'm fueling this into you. And so now you can go spread it out. <clears throat> we got to make sure we're filled with God's power, filled with God's passion and preparation before we go do what he's called us to do. We can't skip that step. It's too important. And Baal was considered a god of agriculture. He was considered the, the god of agriculture. And this is what the people believed. But then God said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Since people are not worshiping Baal, God said, I'm going to cut off the rain. You want to worship this god of agriculture, I'm going to show you who the real god of agriculture is. And he cuts off the rain. And then he told Elijah while he was hiding away, now it's time for you to go to King Ahab and tell him it's about to rain, but not only is it going to rain water, there's going to be a big showdown coming. And Elijah wasn't making this up. He was listening to God speak from his heart. He was following God's purpose for his life. And without passion, without this purpose, there was no passion. But God fueled this in him. His passion flew or flowed out of his purpose. God creates us in a way that it's not just enough to be successful at something. I think this will leave us empty on the long run if we say, I just want to be successful in this area. We have to have a purpose that goes beyond ourselves, beyond what we do, because then we see what God is doing through us and in us and then out to the world. I, I know and I believe God made every single person in here with a purpose. Nobody was made by mistake. God didn't create anybody and go, I'll get back to you someday. I'm not quite sure yet. And before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. He knew what you were going to do, and he knew what he wants to do with you. He knows those things. You all have a purpose. And when we're connected with God, we will get passionate for that purpose that he reveals to us. I want us to see also that our passion is fueled by total commitment and core convictions. Passion is fueled by total commitment and core convictions. In 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah says this. Elijah challenged the people, how long are you going to sit on the fence If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. Real decisive people, weren't they? They didn't know what side of the fence to go on. He was saying, if God is really God, follow God with all your heart. If you believe it's Baal, man, then follow him with all your heart. You're wrong, but at least quit teetering back and forth. Pick one and go for it. Stop sitting on the fence. 
One day they would worship God. The next day they would pray to Baal. And they would say, you know, Baal, send rain for our crops. Then they would follow God's principles. Then they would go back to mutilization and, and the, the worship of, of Baal in, the, in the, the temples. Do you know what the word for sitting on a fence literally means? In Hebrew, it means to totter. To totter. It, it's, it's the picture, right, of someone who's had too much to drink trying to walk that straight line, right? They, they can't do it. They're, they're tottering back and forth as they're trying to walk. But, but there's one side of the line, then the other side of the line, then one side of the line. You're, you're going back and forth. And that's what it's saying here, what the Hebrew word for sitting on the fence is that visual of just going back and forth and not being able to be committed to one thing alone. Now, now let's apply it to our lives. It's the picture of maybe a Christ follower saying, I'm going to follow Christ today, and tomorrow I'm not so sure. Or I'm, I'm going to come to church on Sunday, and I'm going to be like, yes, I'm all in, this is good. Then you go home, and no one would ever know that you went to church that day. No one would ever know Jesus is pouring out of your life because he's not pouring out of your life. So it's, it's, the, it's the visual of someone who says, I'm not all sold out for Jesus. I'm just kind of walking through a little bit here and a little bit there. That's a half-hearted commitment. And if there's something I know about half-heartedness, nobody that is passionate about something gives it half their heart. If you're passionate about something, you are all in. This is what you devote your life to. This is what you go for. Half-heartedness is not passionate. Passion takes an all-out commitment. So many people go through life, and we make a lot of half-hearted commitments here. Um, we make a lot of half-hearted commitments to things that don't matter. And we wonder why we're not having passion, why we're not passionate about something. And it's, it's because we're not giving it our all. We're not saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to do this. I'm going to give this every bit of my being. Can you imagine, how would our lives change if we said, all right, God, I'm going to be passionate about you. I'm going to give you everything. What in our lives would change? I'm willing to bet it would be a lot. Sometimes we don't get there because we've never surrendered our whole heart. And that's where the passion comes about. The foundation for passion is commitment. And it's the same in marriage, right? Commitment in marriage. Commitment to each other. Sometimes, sometimes you, you, you go through good days and you go through bad days. There, there are days where, where my wife, I know she'll roll over and look at me and go, he'll do, that's good. I roll over and I look at her and I go, God, I don't get it, but yes. But there are days where it's hard. There are days where it's just like, man, I've got to make a decision to be all in today because of whatever's going on in life. We've got to make that decision, no matter what's happening in our life, to say, God, I am all in through sickness and health, through the thick and the thin, through the good and the bad, God, I'm going to be all in and let my passion burn for you. If you take that commitment out, you know what happens? You'll, you'll go through seasons where you're like, I feel like I'm in, and then you go through seasons of burnout where you're just empty and running. you, you got nothing left in your tank. And oftentimes when that happens, it's because we're not connected to God and we're not giving him everything because when we give him everything, he keeps you, he keeps you burning full speed ahead. He gives you energy and strength. I think a lot, of the re a lot of the reason why a lot of Christ followers have no passion is because they don't have total commitment. Total commitment to God, total commitment to his word. It's a half-hearted commitment, and I want us to all be sold out for what he's doing. Sold out for who he is because, you know, news break, he is sold out for you. He gives us everything. He gives us all of his love. He is not half in on us. He is all in. We need a commitment. We need an all-out commitment. I love that we have, if we're not all in, people see that. Have you ever talked to someone who uh, has tried to fake it on something and you know they're trying to fake it? 
I, I can often think of, you know, you go back to high school and you think that the guys who think they're all that on the sports team, but, but they're not really, you know. But, or people who are trying to fake being part of a crowd, but, you know, they're not all in on the crowd. You can spot it. And what happens with that person usually? You typically don't want to be around that person. You know they're a fake, you know they're a phony, and it's kind of, it kind of pushes you away from, from even wanting a relationship with them. The same is true for us in our walk with Christ. If we are only half in on our walk with Christ, guess what? It shows. It shows to people. People can see we're only half in. People can say, why would I want that? You're not, you don't even believe that. You're not even living what you're, you're talking about half the time. Why would it make any difference to me? The best thing we can do to show Jesus, to show Jesus to other people, is to be all in for Jesus all the time. People will see that. It will bleed out of us, and it will infect and be contagious for other people. As parents, one of the best things we can do is lead our kids in a passionate way with Jesus. Let our kids see us praying. Let our kids see us giving Jesus our everything. Let, let our kids see us be all in. Let our kids see that church is not just a Sunday thing. Church is where we get to come together and celebrate what we do the rest of the week. We get to live this out every single day. Let them see that it's a priority. Let them see us spending time in God's word. Let them see us praying. One of the most powerful memories I have is just walking in on my dad sometimes in the morning just as he's praying. And he wouldn't stop his prayer. He wouldn't interrupt his prayer. He would just keep praying. But I would just sit there and listen, and my dad would just be laying out his day, spending time with God. And that's powerful for me. And now that's something that I, I make sure that my kids, I, I don't set up a show like Aurora's going to wake up in three, two, one. Okay, Jesus. You know, I don't set it up, but, but I don't hide it when I'm praying, and I don't, I don't stop it because I want them to see it's important. I want them to see that I'm living all in. I want them to see when I tithe. I want them to see when I give because I want them to know that God's in charge of my finances. God is first in everything in my life, and that is such an important principle we can dive out into our kids. It's important to see that. I want them, my girls to see that as they grow up. Not to think I'm perfect, not to think that I have it all together, but to see that it's real, to see that it's genuine, that I don't just preach something on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday is nothing to do with it. I want them to see that I lived this out. It's a pa- I want them to see a Christ-filled, passionate life. I don't want them to see a bad advertisement. I don't want them to see someone who says something and does the other. I want them to see all, that I'm all in. Now, <clears throat> when we look at our next verse, this next verse actually is really funny. If you have a New Living Translation, um, this is one of my favorite versions to read this passage out of. It says this, 1 Kings 18.27, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder than that, he scoffed, to catch the attention of your God. Perhaps he's talking to someone, or he is out sitting on the toilet. Or maybe he is away on a trip, or he is asleep and needs to be weakened or wakened. The Living Bible fair, paraphrase is the only one that actually says sitting on the toilet, and I love that visual of them trying to wake up their God who's like, you know, just give me 30 more minutes, leave me alone. Sitting on the toilet. And the, the, the other versions of scripture will kind of clean that up, but I love that this one just lets Elijah smack talk. He just lays it out. He wasn't worried about Baal. He wasn't worried about Asherah. He knew that they were fake. They weren't going to do anything. So he was mocking these people, like, oh, scream louder, wake him up. He was having a lot of fun. It was, it was like when you're watching your team trash the other team and you know there's no chance. He knew that they were lifeless gods, and he was saying, your God's on the toilet. Have you checked? Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. You have to wake him up. He's not paying attention to you. He knew their passion was being put into something that did not exist. It was an idol, right? 
And whenever we put our passion into something that's lifeless, a lifeless idol perhaps, eventually what's going to happen? It will destroy us. It will absolutely destroy us. Now, we don't worship much idols today, like actual statues like they did then. There are some people that do, but idols today take form in many different things. An idol in its simplest definition can be anything that takes priority in your life over God. That has now become an idol. It can become a sports team. It can become your finances. It can become a politician, a leader, a person, a car, an object. Anything that you say, this is the most important thing in my entire life, that is now your idol. And when we put our passion and our our life into an idol, it starts to control us. And what happens is eventually it will destroy us. Which is why the only person we should worship, the the only God we should worship is God. Let him control us because he doesn't lead us down a path of destruction. He doesn't lead us down a way that says, I'm going to destroy you and make you crumble and you're going to regret everything. He says, I'm going to give you life to the fullest. Don't put your passion or your, your worship and idol on anything else. Give it all to God. Don't let idols control you. Don't let them destroy you. You may even think it's a good thing. Well, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for that. But you know what? God is bigger than whatever that thing is that you're doing for your family. He is more important, and he will lead you down the right path every single time. These people were putting these, these other idols in the same category as God. They're like, God, Baal, Asherah, we'll do all three. And it was leading to their destruction. And ultimately, it destroyed their passion for God. So if we find ourselves longing for a rekindling of passion, we're using that word a lot now, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a big one. How do you rekindle? Some of us may be here today saying, I don't know how to have this passionate life. I, I feel like I used to have it, now I don't. What am I supposed to do? How do I get back to this point where I can say, I want to build passion in my life? How do I return? Well, this passage, I think, tells us clearly the first thing we need to do is we need to return to grace. Return to the grace of God. That screams louder than anything else he does. God gives us grace, an abundance of grace. In verse 28, it says, So they, the prophets of Baal, shouted louder. They also cut themselves with swords and spears until blood flowed. This is what the ritual called for. They were trying to earn their God's approval. They were trying to show works to show that they were worthy of their God's approval. They were cutting themselves. They were mutilating themselves, saying, this will get our God to notice us. If I do this, then he will notice me. Then he will respond to me. We're so sacrificial. We're so sincere. We're so passionate. We are going to earn the attention of our gods, of Baal and Asherah. But the difference is, that's not how God works. God doesn't operate out of, if you do this, then I look at you. God operates out of grace. Jesus is all about grace. He was crucified, so we don't have to crucify ourselves. We don't have to beat ourselves up. He took all of our guilt. He took all of our shame. He took all of our sins. What we do is we get to receive it. We get to receive an abundance of this grace that he has for us. But I've noticed in times when when I start moving away from grace and I try to earn God's approval, I try to earn God's blessing, then what happens is my Christianity turned into a religion of rules and not a relationship with a God who loves me. It's burdensome, and then my passion leaves. So it's all about grace. Get back to grace. Some of us maybe are trying to earn God's love, maybe by saying, if I serve more, God will love me more. If I help more people, God will love me more. If I just do this, God will love me more. But the thing is, you can't earn God's love. It's already there. He already loves you. It's a gift. We receive it because of what he's done on the cross. We can't earn God's blessing We just get to humble ourselves and receive God's blessing. But the enemy will try to deceive you. 
The enemy will say, you're not good enough. You can't, or you have to do better. But the Bible says, just as you receive Jesus by faith in his grace, you've got to walk every day in his grace. Walk in his grace. Don't let it turn into a, a burdensome set of rules where you're trying to earn God's approval. God says this. God says he loves you. He loves you completely. And nothing you do now or later will make him love you more or less. He loves you completely. I want to follow God out of a loving relationship, not out of a, a burdensome, I must, I must, I must, I have to, I have to, I have to. I, I, I want to love him because he loves me so much. Christianity, <clears throat> excuse me, Christianity is the only religion, and not really religion, but a relationship, where you don't have to work to earn the favor of God. You don't have to earn it. It's the only one that is all about grace. Other religions talk about things you have to do to earn enlightenment. Things you have to, if you achieve this, you, you check this many boxes, you will get to heaven, you'll get to nirvana, you'll, you'll get to the enlightenment point. You will reach it if you do these things. Where Christianity says, I love you in spite of your faults. It's the one where God says, I, I am perfect. He is perfect and holy and you can't get to me. So what am I going to do instead? I'm going to go to you. And I will come down and I will humble myself and I will live as one of you to show you how much I love you. It's the only religion that does that. God says, you can't come to me, I will come to you. It can be hard to accept grace. It can be hard to breathe in grace or just to live grace if you move away from grace whatsoever as a Christ follower. Because once you move out of that grace, you move out of that connection, and then we see our passion start to fall. We see ourselves not living fully for him. We leave passion behind because passion comes from a relationship, not a religion. Second is repair the altar. Repair the altar. First Kings 18.30 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. See, the altar where they had worshipped God had been torn and destroyed and just, it was ruined. So what does Elijah say? Let's repair this altar. Whenever, whenever we sin, whenever we, we do something, you know, we, we, we sin against God, we, we, we hurt people, what happens there is there was trust that was built up, right? And then what happens to that trust when you break it? Man, it, it is so hard to get back. Sometimes we have to come to someone, we say, I need to do some repairing. I, I, need to, I need to own what I've done. I need to repair the altar. We are imperfect. We live in an imperfect world. We hurt each other, and there has to be repair done in some relationships. I know that something I've been challenged to in this, uh, this whole 30, 30 days to live challenge is really repair relationships. Um, there, there are some people over the course of my life that I've lost, I've lost connection with and some that um, I have decided I'm going to sever this because it's, it's not good. I, I get, I get kind of angry when I think about people. But I've learned that, you know what? These people are probably going to be in heaven with me someday. What am I going to do? You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side, right? We're going to be here for all eternity. You just eternally stay over there. It's not going to work that way, right? I've got some repair to do. I've got I've to repair the altar of relationships. In all relationships, we're going to need forgiveness at times. In all relationships, we're going to need to forgive. We're going to need to repair. This whole challenge is meant to bring about a whole lot of forgiveness. Some that we'll need to receive, some that we'll need to offer, some that we'll have to seek out. But we need to say, God, I choose to forgive them. Not because I feel like it, but because I don't want resentment to eat away at my passion anymore. I don't want these feelings of hurt and betrayal, whatever it is, to, 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 get, to, take, to take real estate in my heart, right? I want to let it out. I want to forgive. Maybe you need to go to someone this week and ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness. I encourage you, don't wait. Do it. 
just go ahead and do it. God can work miracles through forgiveness. And um, <coughs> excuse me, some people may not even understand why. They may say, you know, you're forgiving me, whatever. But here's the thing. It's not about them. It's about making sure that you are not holding anything back. You are letting it all out. You're not letting anything hold you down from what God is doing in you or wants to do with you. <clears throat> and you're not letting people maybe off the hook. You're not forgiving them and saying, hey, it's no big deal because maybe it was a big deal. But what you're saying is, hey, this hurt, but I choose to forgive because God wants me to forgive and he forgives me when I hurt him. Forgive people. Don't let that person keep hurting you. Choose to forgive. The third is this, renew faith in God's greatness. Renew faith in how great God is. In verses 33 to 35, it says this, he arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. Water ran down the altar and filled the trench. Now, I never did Boy Scouts, but I know that's not a good way to start a fire. And I know there are, there are some scouts in here. And can you imagine if you went to scout training and your, your scout troop leader was like, today we're going to learn how to build a fire. First thing first, let's drench the fire pit. That scout leader would not be a scout leader for very long. Right? It, it, it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But this is what he does. And why did Elijah do this? Why would he say, fill this with water? And he did it for the sole purpose of he wanted them to know he was not doing the fire. He was not going to be the one that was letting this thing on fire. The only way this could catch on fire, the only way it could consume everything was if it was an act of God. And he wanted it to be very, very clear. And he wanted people to see that God was working. Now, <clears throat> this would be a supernatural fire from God that no human could put out. Now, now I, love, I know that God loves it when we believe in him for great things. Do you believe God's going to do great things in your life? Do you believe God's going to do things in your life that only he can do? Where circumstances in your life say there is no possible way this should happen. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened, this is going to be a result. But then God steps in and says, but this is now happening instead. Those moments in our lives, I love hearing about those moments. I, I love looking back at my life and saying, there were moments where God showed up, and the only reason this happened is because God was there. And like I said, every day I look at my wife, I say, that is a God moment. My parents also told me, Dustin, look at your wife, that's a God moment. <laughs> Believe in God for great things. Now, maybe God disappointed you because you had in mind how you wanted something to work for your life, and it didn't happen that way. I want to encourage you and say, don't let God disappoint you or don't let your disappointment think that God is doing that on purpose so that you need to be disappointed because God knows what's best. God knows what's better. And just because he didn't answer it the way you wanted doesn't mean he's not answering it the way that is perfect for you. Trust God. Believe in great things. Don't stop believing in great things. God wants you to return to him. God wants you to believe in him. We serve a great God who wants to do great things in your life. I believe he wants to do great things in this church. He wants to do great things in this community, and, and we've got to believe that he's going to do great things. Stephanie and I, we are just ordinary, imperfect people, but we serve an extraordinary, perfect God. And you can replace my name and her name with your name in that statement. We are ordinary people, but we serve an extraordinary God. He deserves our passion and our faith. He is perfect. He loves it when we believe in him for great things and that he can show his greatness to this, this hurting world trust in him. The fourth thing is restore compassion for people. 
you don't have to raise your hand for this. I don't want to call anybody out. But how many, how many times in your day even do you go, oh, people, right? Just people. <laughs> you, you can be at the store. You can be driving and just anywhere. And you could say people, right? A lot of people have passion for themselves, passion for interests, passion for goals, passion for their families. But what we don't have is a passion for people. Because, man, let's face it, people can be passion killers. In verse 37, Elijah's prayer, he says this, Answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people may know that you, O Lord, are God. Turn their hearts to you again. Elijah's passion for God, you know what that translated into? Compassion for people. His passion for God translated to compassion for people. The people of Israel were lost. They were hurting. They were, they were, they were going down the wrong track. They were purposeless. And Elijah's heart was breaking the more he saw people turning away from God. God's heart was breaking. Does your heart break for the same things that breaks heart, God's heart? When you see someone hurting, does your heart hurt for that person? If you see someone making a wrong decision or doing something you know they shouldn't do, are you just getting angry or are you actually breaking because you know that's wrong and you want to see them course correct? Our hearts need to break for the things that breaks God's. Many times, God can use our life and he can use the painful moments in our life to really fuel passion and compassion for other people. A passion-filled life is not a pain-free life. Don't, don't hear anything I'm saying. and saying, if I do these things, nothing will ever be hard again because that, that couldn't be further from the truth. A passion-filled life is not a pain-free life. If you be, some, some people will say, if you become a Christ follower, you become a Christian, guess what happens to all your problems? They're gone. God is good. Life is good. No more problems. That, that just doesn't happen, right? You will not be constantly happy. A passion-filled life is not a pain-free life. You know what the word passion comes from? The Latin word passio, which means to endure suffering and pain. Build you up, right? You want to be passionate? That means you are going to endure suffering and pain. A passion-filled life is not a pain-free life. It just means that God is going to be with you in the pain, and he's going to work through your pain, and he will do great things through the pain. He will use it to really help you to be sensitive to the pain of others. Sometimes we can, we can connect with people on that, right? When you've gone through something and you've hurt deeply, and then someone else hurts with you, you can connect. Your pain can build, a, can, can build a relationship with each other, and then ultimately God can use that to do amazing things. Let your passion be turned into compassion for people. If you don't have compassion for people, I would say maybe you're missing a little bit of that passion piece of God in your life. Because if we're passionate for God, and we want compa- to be passionate for what he's passionate for, he gave everything for us. Absolutely everything. Be passionate for people. And I want us to see this, this next thing because it comes out of compassion for others, but it really refocuses back. Refocus on the glory of God. Refocus on the glory of God. God brought glory to himself and he turned the people's hearts back to him again. This whole thing, this whole coming down fire from heaven, it wasn't just a, ha ha, you see I'm here. It was a, now come back to me. That was Elijah's prayer. Turn their hearts back to you. It was all done so people would come back to God. They had left a very passionate God, and our very passionate God brought fire from heaven so they would be turned back to him in a passionate way. This, this one month to live thing is really about returning. Returning to that moment where you say, God, I'm giving you everything. God, I'm passionate about you, and nothing will take that away. A lot like the prodigal son who went away and then returned to his dad. What was his dad doing? He's passionately waiting for him. 
And when his son got home, he gave him, and if that's not a passionate response to scripture, I don't know what else you're going to see, right? He gave him his coat. He gave him the, he threw a party with the, the fattened calf. He gave him his ring. He gave him his shoes. He was passionate about his son's return. And God does that for us. He is right there with us. We have to refocus on God's glory sometimes, though. Some of us may need to return today. The lights are on. The fire's burning at home. It's we need to go home to God today. Say, God, I'm, I'm refocusing on you. I've been wandering away. I've been walking down this path, walking further away from you. But the great thing about God is that if you're walking further away from him, that doesn't mean he's getting further and further away. He's still right there. The minute you turn around, he is right there. And he wants you. 1 Kings 18.36 says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. His prayer was, God, this is all about you. Everything I've said, everything I've done, the fire, the altar, the burning, it's all for you. It's not for me. I don't want anyone to think that I'm the one calling down fire. I don't want anyone to think that I have, I'm more special than them. God, turn them all to you. Let people see God's greatness. And if you're focused on you and what you want for your desires and your, your dreams and your goals, that's a prescription for depression down the road. Don't be focused on you. Be focused on him. When you focus on God's joy, you focus on others, that brings about pure joy. Jesus first, others next, yourself last. That brings joy. I'd like to invite the, you to stand with me and the worship team to come back forward as we come to a close this morning. Last chunk of scripture here. 1 Kings 18.38 says this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The fire of the Lord fell. And what was people's response? The Lord is God. The Lord is God. I believe with all my heart, the same God who sent that fire from heaven all those years ago wants to send fire right now to this place, to our, to our hearts, to our souls, to reignite that fire of passion we have for him. Don't leave here today saying, I'll start tomorrow. Don't leave here today saying, I'll start after the game. We don't even like the teams playing today, right? Start today and say, God, I'm going to give you everything. Before I walk out of this building, I'm going to commit right now, God, I am for you. I am all in for you. He wants to send the fire of passion into your lives. He wants to fuel your compassion for people. And he wants it all to be done so people come to know him. Amen? Amen. God, I thank you so much for today. God, I, I thank you that you are so passionate about us that, that when we're connected with you, we can't help but be passionate for you. I pray, God, that as we leave here today, we, we leave change because we know that we can live every single moment as people who are on fire for you, God. And I pray for anyone here who is maybe, maybe feeling like their fire is just embers right now, or maybe their fire has been put out. God, I pray that just in an instant you reignite it. You say, I'm here, and that we go all in for you, God. I thank you for who you are, for what you do, and I thank you that you're going to do amazing things through us for your glory. And God, I pray that through us, you can help turn a big chunk of this city to you and you alone. And we thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen.